When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Fem Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsie Laurie, and this week... We are going to go all out on Credence Clearwater Revival. Let's rock it. want to know about Credence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> oh, I will tell you all about a good old CCR Credence Clearwater Revival because you know what I did we promised the people in our Vietnam Music of Vietnam episode that we would do a CCR episode and people here you go. Here I mean that episode was almost like a precursor to it anyway. We just kept I cut a lot of it but man did we get on some CCR tangents throughout that episode. Oh gosh, we were just going on that's why I was like we have to do its own episode cuz they're just so good. You know what's funny about CCR is a lot of their songs they're they're very southern rock based actually officially if you look on the world wide web and this is probably one of my favorite things the style that they encompass is roots rock swamp rock blues rock southern rock country rock and blue-eyed soul so there's a lot of different they're kind of all the same thing and they sound exactly like what you would expect them to swamp rock roots rock it's it's all southern rock um 
Swamp Rock is mixing and also with like a Creole Cajun New Orleans style uh, mixed in with it. But so anyways, they have this Southern rock style. A lot of their songs are born on the bayou, looking out my back door, have these real Southern porch feels. They are from California. Yeah. Well, and you just going down <laughs> that list. It's so funny to me because you don't really, I feel like rock music has a real subgenre issue sometimes. Oh, <laughs> more, totally. more than any other genre of music, right? Like rap doesn't have like 50 different subcategories of what type of rap music you make. Jazz doesn't have maybe yeah, pop. like pop maybe. Like pop might go cuz you could go like Latina pop, rock pop, yeah. country pop. But like, even like I'm sure there's but rock really does have such a wide cuz it's like subgenres um, of the subgenres. So it's like you can't just be a punk exactly. band. You're like Oh, I'm an oi punk no. band. You're like, oh, well, we're a ska punk band. I was just going to say, like, ska is a great example where you listen to it and you're like, no, it's specifically ska, but it is a subdivision of rock. <laughs> and that's why, I mean, rhythm and blues, R&B, which we know today is, I, I don't know, I'm going back to, like, my 90s version of R&B being, like, Boys to Men and Mariah yeah. Carey and, you know, like, that's R&B. But R&B, rhythm and blues, goes back to jazz blues which is what rock and roll was yeah. birthed out of so without r&b technically rock doesn't exist so it's like almost like r&b comes from this twisted reverse birth of like all the same group so yeah rock is a very diverse i it's go it's crazy i it's funny that i'm talking about this a second time but i actually mentioned this on um a recent episode of weird algorithm as well but like i took an american music class in college and in order to take the class you had to take the history of jazz first <laughs> as like as oh, like cool. an entrance point into even being able to talk about American music from that point. Yeah, no, that that completely makes sense. And it's really um, I think I mentioned this before, but I do want to do an episode and we will in the future on jump blues, which is kind of the jazz blues category that happened and music that developed right before the birth of rock and roll. And it's a really cool era, but we'll, we'll get into that. In yeah. So bit. CCR but, um, stems from El Cerrito. California. Yeah. They come from California. From they, they have a nice, mm-hmm. I, I would say that their sound, especially of the sixties artists, their sound does kind of harken back a bit into that, like garagey fifties rock and roll sound more than a lot of the other sixties groups. Yeah. Well, a lot of, I mean, their first hit was a cover of, of Susie Q, which is a 1956 rockabilly song by Dale Hawkins. I mean, that's the very first song that the public got to know them was an fifties rock song. So it's, they do have a lot of that roots, which I love that about them. And then they kind of mix in that, southern bayou feel that they just liked like john fogarty so we'll go the the members of the band are john fogarty who's the lead vocalist guitar and songwriter he wrote most all the songs his brother tom who's the rhythm guitar Stu cook was the bassist and doug clifford was the drummer um they all met in middle school and in 1959 they formed their band the blue velvets don't believe tom wasn't in the band right away but he then kind of joined and they all actually played tom was originally the lead singer and John then took over later and Tom was like, he just had the sound. I mean, he does. He's got such an iconic 100%. voice and it works so well with their style. And, and he's such a good songwriter. He's an amazing songwriter. So in 1959, they're the Blue Velvets. So in, in 1964, they sign with kind of an indie record label in San Francisco called Fantasy Records, who they stay with. And they get renamed the Gollywogs. So they're the Gollywogs for a couple of years. Damn, what a yeah, great name. I know. I can't imagine why they would change it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. It's so weird. Yeah. Well, so in 1966, uh, John Fogarty actually ends up producing a lot of the group's records. And that's when he becomes the lead vocalist. Um, and they, they all kind of switch their positions in the band. And in 1967, a new owner of Fantasy Records comes in and is like, the Gollywogs is a bullshit name, which is totally <laughs> valid. Accurate. And they change it to Credence Clearwater. Um, Credence Clearwater, this is interesting, the way they came up with the name, it's kind of just like a mumbo jumbo of a bunch of, so Credence, Tom had a friend named Credence Newberry. So they named, they took Credence from him. Uh, Clearwater came from a TV commercial for Olympia Brewing Company. It was like the clear water, quote unquote, like, and then the revival was their renewed commitment to the band, you know, they're re rebranding themselves. And so that's where you get Credence Clearwater. That's it's awesome. It's awesome. I love I it. I want to talk about real quick, because I'm looking at their, their studio albums list right now on Wikipedia, which is always kind of a cool mm-hmm. thing to look at. But what I've pulled from in this element is that, that like, a, I, I think one of the things I really liked about CCR is we're thinking about the time period. This is around the exact same time that like we're talking about late 60s, 68 into 70. This is right when like the Beach Boys and the Beatles are both kind of doing these big overproduced albums where they're doing multiple layers. And meanwhile, CCR almost has this sound of as if they just walked into the studio, plugged in, played the song once. And we're like, that's the one that we're putting out. Like it had that raw vibe. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I want to call out, you know, we give a lot of credit to the Beatles on their output in the short period of time they had. But CCR is nothing to sneeze at either when you look at how many albums they put out in about three or four years. In a short, <laughs> I know. Well, and that's what I have listed here. I kind of decided instead of just going through like the history of like what they did, I was like, let's just tackle some of the best songs and and go there. But I was writing them in chronological order and it was, I'd write like another, write another new album, come up, new album. I'm like, okay, that's 69. Okay, that came out in 1969. Okay, and then later in 1969, I'm like, geez, like they just were nonstop with, I agree, they're very condensed time with an awesome amount of material, which is incredible. They had, the one thing about CCR though is, and this is killer, they never, they always were on top charts. They, you know, have made it onto some like amazing lists, Rolling Stone, like top 500 songs of all times have made it and this, that, but they have five songs that got to number two, but they never got a number one song. And it was just like every time they had a song that went to number two, there was always something like one time they were competing against Diana Ross's Ain't No Mountain High Enough or, you know, the theme song Romeo and Juliet beat them out. Or it just was that kind of, I think a lot of songs get that disservice where it sucks. It's a lot of songs should be number ones, but it's just the time happens to movies too. And well, and I mean, obviously with me doing like one hit thunder, the amount of songs Mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, this song was, you know, peaked at number two but like it peaked in the summer of 1996 when the macarena was the number one song for like four straight months right it's right. just like oh well, like i love the macarena it's like well i mean you're not gonna uh, beat the macarena you know what i mean like that, that was such a you are unbeatable not. You force. Never will be. that was remember i just want to take a moment that craze i'm gonna say it's just like today what we we have we don't talk about bruno is like the big craze but that's not even a dance the macarena was like ahead of its time in a sense of, oh my gosh, what, I don't know. Let's not go on a tangent of Macarena. I love the Macarena. I wish I could relive just that time of summers at the pool and it would just come on the radio and it was the greatest thing you've ever heard. And everyone just stops and dances. Okay. Let's go back to CCRs first. So Susie Q is their first kind of notable song, which do you remember that made for TV movie Susie Q about the 1950s prom 
girl that gets hit in the car and dies and then like the 90s kid deals with her no. ghost and it was the girl that played the pink power ranger kimberly was the actress no not at all and it's like a really sad i think it was disney channel original but i could be totally wrong it's funsies okay so their second their second kind of big hit was another cover they did do a lot of covers and i love their versions of things but they did a cover of I Put a Spell on You in 1968, which we all know now is a very famous song. A lot of you know it from Hocus Pocus. But um, it was a cover from Screamin' Jay Hawkins, who recorded it in 1956. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame says it's one of their most successful songs that shaped rock and roll. And when Screamin' Jay Hawkins, he, he's a really interesting character. He kind of made on this persona. He considered himself kind of almost this comic, like, Black Vincent Price, where he brought on a lot of the death skulls. He kind of took on this voodoo persona where he would go on with, you know, coffins and bones through his hair and skulls. And But when he recorded I Put a Spell on You, the entire band was intoxicated in the recording studio. And it's a lot of, if you listen to the original recording of Screamin' Jay, it's awesome. It's very yeah. like mumbling and just kind of this like soul. But, it's my favorite um, version of the song by bla- a mile. He, he blacked yeah. out. He, he didn't remember recording it. He was completely blacked out. And when he came to and was like, oh, we have this song. And he like woke up and there was a song recorded. He had to learn the song from the recording recording that he yeah. did because he had no memory of it and became you know obviously a huge that was kind of his big watching if, if you haven't uh listeners just google any video of him performing that song live as well because it's it's he is like before there was an alice cooper or a marilyn manson or a rob zombie like mm-hmm. he was the trailblazer for that very over the top demonic evil type performer. Like I love watching those. Me too. And it is cool to see. It's it's funny. I actually didn't even think about that like how much, you know, now you think a subgenre of rock, the kind of like demonic like yeah, run with the devil kind of vibe that a lot of rock stars took on their persona. He really was like one of the first to kind of bring in that element and it's it is really cool yeah that version of i put a spell on you is easily my favorite version of that song it's just so oh yeah it's so untouchable i would say that i actually think ccr's version of i put a spell on you is probably one of my lower ranking covers from ccr because i i think that's just kind of it's long it is a very long like the guitar solo just kind of doesn't stop it's good though i mean that i do like it in a sense that the you can feel a lot of that soul in the guitar and and we'll get to we'll get to my favorite cover of theirs i'm sure shortly but when they started dabbling into like just straight up traditional like almost like public domain covers uh they do mm-hmm. a particular like 1910s ni- early 20s song that i absolutely adore their cover of okay we'll get there we'll get there the next song of so 1969 they produced the album bayou country which again you know it's everything's going to be themed southern louisiana and they write proud mary this is their first number two song most of you listeners will know proud mary from Tina and Ike Turner's cover. That's the most famous. And they did that two years after CCR wrote and dropped Proud Mary. Um, It was after uh, John Fogarty was discharged from the National Guard. So it's kind of this really uplifting, you know, he's out of this thing and and going out to just make it. And and he had met a woman named Mary. They said that was a dishwasher and was kind of based on, on her. And a lot of influence from Mark Twain and being on, you know, reading his novels and being on the Mississippi and that kind of vibe there. So everyone loves a good Proud Mary. It is, of course, their version's great and they're the original, but 
Tina Turner's just, I mean, duh, so that's why it's so famous. Uniquely but man, they, different. I there. Oh, it's just so, I'm like, you can't even just, uh, you know, every now and then we like to do something nice and easy. <laughs> like, it just starts off immediately like, oh, this is great. Comparing those two versions is really interesting to do because it's like, it's not like Tina and Ike did something completely dramatically different with the song structure, but it's just the energy that they bring to it makes it feel like such a different song. Oh, so, it's so colorful. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it really CCR stays kind of on one plane of a awesome, great kind of Southern rock here. But the the colors of the ups and downs yeah. that oh, just that even the Tina the, the roll in. They completely changed the genre oh, for of sure. It too. It, it's, it's, they took a song that was just southern rock and completely put it in a different genre category it's, which is incredible. It's, it's interesting because i would even say like just take the chorus the rolling rolling down a river like ccr does it and it almost feels like an angry song and then you hear like the tina turner one and you're just like i just gotta dance like it's just like, oh so- yeah i know and it's a <laughs> like that was all them that wasn't there oh so good man tina what a god um <laughs> So their their next number two is Born on the Bayou. Same album. Which yeah. is on the same album. Same album. And they performed this at Woodstock. I didn't actually originally know that they were at Woodstock because they got removed. When the video, John Fogarty wasn't happy with their performance there. He was like, we could have done better. And so I think he initially had them take it off of recordings. But later when things were re-released, um, it was ad backed out. But yeah, he never lived on the bayou. He wasn't very widely traveled in the South. He just really had this connection of of that lifestyle and what it was. And I think he he overly like fantasized and romanticized about it. And I get it. I mean, I'm someone, I am from Southern California. My whole family lives here and we are all New Orleans Saints fans. Like I get, and everyone's like, why? We're like, our soul's in New Orleans. We love the South. Like we just love it there. And so I, I kind of reading about him saying all this, I was like, I get it. I can understand and relate to that. Fair. I do love Born on the Bayou. A lot of these songs, obviously, when we get into kind of like the Vietnam songs, they it's very much like, oh, man, CCR is just like backing up Forrest Gump and backing up when they made, made Tropic Thunder. But a lot of these songs uh, feel like backing up Waterboy. Yeah, I was literally about to say, I'm pretty sure Quite Born on the Bayou is <laughs> in the beginning of Waterboy when he's driving the oh, tractor. Yeah. It <laughs> definitely <laughs> is. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. Just as Born on the Bayou. Oh, it has such that authentic raw it's it really blew me away when i read that he was not from the south because you can hear it in the soul well, of the and i also think i think it's tough on the whole for what, what i refer to as like white guy blues um a lot of time like yeah. white guy blues it doesn't really have the soul of like when you're listening to like a bb king record but john fogarty really like he has that singing style where you're just like, oh, man, I know where this guy, like where this is coming from. And then it's like, oh, he's a California guy. <laughs> but like he does bring right. some, even though it's not based on an actual lifestyle choice, there's such an authenticity in the way that he presents those mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And that's um, why they're so damn good. They're next. So this is a funny one. So they they did a cover of Little Richard's Good Golly Miss Molly, which Little Richard did it in 1956. So here's another just fun classic rock and roll song that they covered. But later, what was it, 1970, I believe, they their song Travel and Band, Little Richard um, opened a lawsuit against them because it sounded too much like Good Golly Miss Molly. And it does, the beginning does sound like it. 
And I just thought that was really funny that later they write a song that was so close to it after they've even done a cover. I'm like, wouldn't you know that's like John, John Fogarty but will they, be do are we gonna get into the other very weird John Fogarty lawsuit that happened, I think, in like the late seventies, early eighties? I don't think I know so that. So John Fogarty, when CCR broke up and he started being a solo artist. And he went to a different record label. The label that owned the CCR music tried to sue John Fogarty for stealing the melody line of a CCR song for one of his solo records. Like, this is where it just gets ridiculous when, like, the people that fucking wrote the song don't even get the rights to have their own song or sing it or use it. It's like... I get no, yeah, I don't. They get lost it. that I mean, lawsuit, like, no thankfully. No. Like the record label lost that, and it was very clear to everybody who was doing it. Like, oh, y'all are just being petty that he didn't want to sign his his solo record with y'all. But uh, yeah, yeah, like he had to apparently show up at the trial and perform both songs back to back to show how they're different chords and like a different melody line. <laughs> Ridiculous. I, if I was him, I would just be like, this is a, like, he probably was like, this is a fucking joke. But let's um, move on to the, let's, anyways. let's get on to Green River for a second. We'll go from the bayou right on to Green River. Oh, yeah. I didn't even write on. Well, Green the big thing with Green it. River is that it gives us another one of what I would argue their most iconic songs, Bad Moon on the Rise or Bad Moon Rising. Oh, that, that was my next, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, Bad Moon Rising is the next, 1969. Yeah, and that's another number two. Hi, listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. And that is a phenomenal song. Um, If any of you watch the TV show Archer. I don't know if I don't, but you do. there's, there's a character scientist and he has this, uh, he's like, can I get my CCR album back or something? And he's like, Oh, I broke it. Or I can't remember this. And he's like, Oh, now it's a sad moon rising. <laughs> and I always think of that. It's got all of you listeners are probably like, I'm lost. Get out. You just turn that. My podcast According off. to wiki, it's been covered by at least 20 different artists in all types of styles, ranging from folk, reggae and psychedelic rock. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> he wrote it after watching the 1941 film, The Devil and Daniel Webster, and that the song is about the apocalypse that was going to be visited upon us. Some of the films that the song has appeared in include American Werewolf in London, My Fellow Americans, Twilight Zone the Movie, Howling 3 the Marsupials, Blade, Sweet Home Alabama, My Girl, Man of the House, Mr. Woodcock, The Big Chill, Kong Skull Island, and most recently Army of the Dead, but then also appeared on the TV show Supernatural Cold Case, Northern Exposure, Walking Dead, Teen Wolf, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Ah, uh, yes, Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> that was there. That was the golden choice, though. That was the one that everyone was like, "This is art." What a lineup there! I did not know that. It's one that is definitely on my iTunes playlists quite a bit. <laughs> Lodi was the B side of Bad Mood Rising, and um, it basically is just about um, Lodi is a town in central 
California, Central Valley, and like the agriculture area. Um, there's some wine that comes from Lodi. And this song's just about a, a musician that gets stuck there. He's playing gigs there and can't get money to get bus fared to get out. That was another place that John Fogarty had never been. He, you know, it wasn't too far from where they grew up, but never was there. He just liked the sound of the town, the, the name of it. So he's like, I'm gonna write a song about it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. People have written songs for less. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Um, oh, this is fun. Okay, so then they came out with that album, Willie and the Poor Boys, in 1969. Another, this is the same year, another album, back to our point. Down on the Corner was on that album. That one hit number three on the charts, which I love that song. Just the I love start. That song dun, too. Dun, 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 dun. I'm always just like, immediately a smile goes on. I'm like, this is just a good, it feels like a good neighborhood family like you're in this area. I always, I imagine New Orleans always, and there's these kind of like corner convenience stores. And and in New Orleans, there's always, if you walk down the street on Saturday or Sunday morning, there's bands just playing out on the sidewalks, yeah. which is another reason I love that city. There's just music everywhere. And these people will be sitting on boxes and they're incredible. And so it just, you know, play sitting on the corner, playing the guitar, tapping the beat. Like it just reminds me of that kind of vibe and feel. And so I can just, I can picture the exact street that I've it, walked down so many times in New Orleans. And it's a really, it it, so it's good in that sense of like, even the instrumentation mm-hmm. kind of paints the picture of what the song is about, which is really, really cool. He was inspired by an ad in the paper, a Disney advert for Winnie and the Pooh. And the advertising. <laughs> Well, Winnie and the Pooh and his brain, he said his brain just said Winnie and the Pooh and the Pooh boys. And it became Willie and the Poor Boys. And that's where that came from. Isn't that? And he said he loves Winnie the Pooh is still one of his favorite characters. And he always shared it with his daughter, Kelsey. And I was like, oh, that's cute. But I thought that was so interesting. That's so Winnie funny. Winnie and the Pooh boys are playing. Like, if you, yeah. You know, it's funny where the brain can just, and that's, I think that's the mentality and perception of like a songwriter or say a novelist or a movie, like any creative, it's just, you, you hear things and the brain automatically just takes them and is like, Oh, it kind of sounds like this. What if I ran with it and writes a song? Yeah. And I think that's such a cool part of the creative brain. You know, there's another big single on Willie and the, and the poor boys, which kind of is the whole reason why we're doing this episode, because I think we both said it is the song of Vietnam, if we could only pick one. It is the song, and that is Fortunate Son. Yeah. It ain't me. I mean, I, I feel me. like all you need to know about that is go check out our Vietnam episode if you haven't. Because Yeah, you should. If you haven't listened to our Music of Vietnam episode, <laughs> definitely check that out because we go on a tangent. But for those of you who are bored and not bored, lazy and don't have time, I get it. Basically an anti-war song against Vietnam. Um, it's considered Rolling Stone has it at number 99 of the greatest song of all time. They have yeah. a list and it's number 99, which as it should be. But, you know, it's basically rich man's making the war, poor man's fighting it. It's not fair, the unfairness of the war and all that. And then at the time, a lot of, you know, there's the draft going on. Um, again, if you go listen to our Vietnam podcast, you'll learn more about this. There was a draft <laughs> going on. And, <laughs> shameless plug. And a lot of the sons of, say, senators and, and people high up, they were getting, some of them were getting drafted, but they were getting these like clutch jobs like, they were being put out on a boat in the Mediterranean or in offices at home where they weren't being sent to the front lines in Vietnam like everyone else was. So it's kind of a protest song. It's just, uh, we did this already, but it is one of my all-time favorite songs. It is so 
good. It's that you can, you, the song plays and you almost hear, and I think it's just because it was used in so many movies, but you can almost see like a bird's eye view pan of the Vietnam jungle and then hear like the, <laughs> like <laughs> helicopter choppers coming in and it just, it and it's your one of your it's your one of your go to karaoke songs. It is one of my go to karaoke songs. So if anyone ever sees me out of the karaoke bar, buy me a shot, bribe me, I'll do it anyways, and I'll sing. So there's one other song I want to talk about on Willie and the po- Poor Boys, which wasn't released as a single, but it is my favorite Creedence Clearwater Revival song, and it's what I was hinting to earlier, which is their cover of the song Midnight Special, which is a traditional blues folk song this was my first exposure to credence clearwater revival uh because when i was a little kid uh, i was obsessed with the twilight zone stay tuned i'm sure we'll do an episode on it eventually maybe in october definitely in the twilight zone movie after i watched a bunch of twilight zone episodes i wanted to see the 1980s twilight zone movie and the movie begins with uh this scene where albert brooks and dan Aykroyd are driving and dan Aykroyd's a hitchhiker that albert brooks picks up and they're listening to the song Midnight Special by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, and they're talking about their favorite Twilight Zone episodes while that song plays in the background. Um, and then Dan Aykroyd turns into a monster and kills Albert Brooks. And then like the Twilight Zone movie begins. But it that totally song always just that. stuck out in my head. Yeah, it's just it's a nice bluesy version of this like really classic song. I think the first like official recording of it was by lead belly, which is like 1921 or something like right when we first started putting music to vinyl. Definitely. If you haven't checked that song out, it's not one of their big hits or anything, but it, if you're uh, a fan of the twilight zone movie, you definitely know this particular cover. Anytime I think of the twilight zone movie, all, and I say this all the time if I'm done with something is when um, it's the part of the movie where the kid has all the powers. I, I haven't seen this movie in so long and he puts Ethel in the in the TV mm-hmm. screen and she's running from everything and the TV goes off and it's just his face. He's like, that's all, Ethel. Yeah. And I always think, I always like if something's end, I always say that to myself. So side note, that same story gave me one of the biggest scares of my life because there's this horrifying reveal that has sat with me my entire life where he's giving the newest woman that he's bringing into this house of horrors that he's basically created. Mm -hmm. And he walks past his sister's room and she's sitting there watching TV and he says, she doesn't talk much. And then the camera and and she has no mouth and it's just like nose and then just a chin. And it is the scariest practical effect that my little like nine-year-old brain could comprehend at that time. You're like, maybe I should stop watching TV. Yeah, but then I just kept doing it. And now I made a career out of it. (laughs) The big album, though, this is like Hit City is coming up right now. Yes. And that is uh, Cosmo's Factory. Yeah, baby. Right? Yep, that's the one. I was like, do you have a different figure? I was like, that should no, be no, it. No. Yeah, that's Cosmo's Factory. Who'll Stop the Rain? This is 1970. Who'll Stop the Rain was another number two. Classic folk rock, folk rock song. It's a great song. It gets a lot of praise. It's one of those songs that I am. It's, it's nice. It's not my favorite CCR song, to be honest. I agree. It's it's all right, in my opinion, but I get it. You know, they can't all be Kelsey and Matt winners. Yeah. I mean, the but... aforementioned Traveling Band was also on this this album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Traveling was on Band there. was there. We already mentioned. And I do love that song. I, I love, love Traveling Band. What yeah. a fun blues rock. Run Through the Jungle. Big one. Which, if you want to hear me go on a crazy tangent, 
listen to our Vietnam episode. <laughs> and looking out the back door, we referenced earlier too. Yeah, like, wait, I want to talk about Run Through the Jungle. I'm just, I'm just making sure we, we before we miss anything, because this album had six singles that came off of it out of its 10 tracks. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And arguably one of them that isn't a single is another one of those songs that I think is so beloved that people just assume it was a single, which was as long as I can see the light, which I think is the prettiest song that CCR has ever Uh, done. Yeah. I think I'm just not as big as a like slower song CCR fan. I, for the most part, I'm not. I feel like as long as I can see the light is is like the best of their like kind of slow ballads. But yeah, I mean, this album, not too many slow ballads, because like you said, run through the jungle, like run through the jungle. Let's talk about it. Okay, so again, Vietnam, if you listen to the words, it's most people did think it was a protest song to Vietnam. I'm still convinced it is because if you the lyrics literally describe being in Vietnam, Um and you have to run. But later in a 2016 interview, Fogarty says the song was about the proliferation of guns in the U.S. And he had read at the time that there was enough gun for every man, woman, and child in America. And he was like blown away. So he said, you know, in the song, it says 200 million guns are loaded. And this is a quote from me. He says, not that anyone else had the answer, but I did not have the answer to the question. I just had the question. I just thought it was disturbing that it was such a jungle for our citizens to walk around in our country, at least having to be aware that there are so many private guns owned by responsible and many irresponsible people. So that's kind of actually what he said the song's about. And when I read that, I was like, damn, you're right, John. And that's very true for today as well. So we are still running through that jungle. Um, um, I also think it's it's worth noting uh, with Run to the Jungle, that lawsuit that I was talking about was Run Through the Jungle was the song that the label was trying to sue him over. Uh, because on his solo, uh, his solo album in 1984 had a song called Old Man Down by the River that they felt sounded too close to it. So they tried to sue John Fogarty for sounding like John Fogarty. Oh, I thought he was going to write a song called like jog through the forest. Gotta jog through the forest. <laughs> I mean, God, there are so many hits on this album. I'm looking at the track I know, list. It's, well, let's talk about looking out the back, looking out my back door. So I, I've known this song for a long time and I, I've kind of for so long just got the, chorus in my head looking out my back door you know and calm it's fun it's just like oh this looking in my backyard it's home and then and then I listened to the lyrics not too long ago and I didn't realize that I had never actually listened to the lyrics and you think you know is in in the song says imagination sets in pretty soon I'm singing looking out my back door there's there's a giant doing cartwheels a statue wearing high heels look at all the happy creatures dancing on the lawn dinosaur Victrola listen to Buck Owens tambourines and elephants are playing in the band want to take a ride on the flying spoon which is amazing and I was like this song got better so obviously a lot of people think holy shit this song is about drugs he's tripping balls. And then he said, no, I'm not. I actually, um, he wrote that song for his three-year-old son. Mm-hmm. So it was in lieu of imagination and creativity. He was also inspired by Dr. Seuss's and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Which I so always I love that book as I a like, kid. <laughs> oh, me too. It's so great. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Um, <laughs> but I, I do love, this is a great looking out my back door. And I, my favorite line of the song, which I don't think anyone would argue, is... 
Bother me tomorrow. Today I'll buy no sorrows. Do, do, do. Looking out my back door. And it's just so simple. And it just really captures that letting stress go and being like, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Right now I'm just, I'm going to sit on my porch and just take in life and be happy. And I love that. I, I agree. I mean, I do. I won't lie. I also love that little the part that we just sang, the penalties and elephants are playing in the band. Like, I just think that that part is so that's the earworm to me out of the song, that mm-hmm. that little piece. And then they also I think it has to be the longest song they've ever recorded. But they also released a cover of I Heard It Through the Grapevine that's Grapevine, over yeah. 11 minutes long, yep. which it does not it's, need to be. <laughs> but It definitely it definitely does not need to be. And I think that was kind of in lieu of like going on, which, you know, they did. In Suzy Q, I put a spell on you. You can hear their long guitar solos kind of go, you know, off. But this turned more into a jam session. Yeah. Because how long can you take a Motown song? Like a good, a great bop. It is a bop. I love Heard It Through the Grapevine, grapevine, but it's another. I I do love their covers. It's, they're phenomenal. Um, One of, up around the, yeah, the other ones are not as oh, Ubi Doobie is a great that's a cover, but um, I do yeah, love Ubi the Doobie. only other one did we talk about one. Up Around the Bend? That's the only other one that I really remember. Like coming up around the band, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, but it's that the one that really song. sits with me too much. That song always reminds me of um, Remember the Titans, I believe yes. it's on that soundtrack. That's a good call, yeah. Like, I hear that and I just see the kind of like sun rising them all running out and getting onto their early We're football s- practice. Like, come on, coach, like, it just takes me up. <laughs> That's what I we say. are two pop culture loving motherfuckers because it's like every we are song, two pop culture motherfuckers because <laughs> every time it's like it doesn't matter what song it is it could be the most important song in the history of music and, and we'd be like remember when Adam Sandler popped this into- <laughs> <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah it's that's how my brain stores it is I can't not see these films and we're very movie driven as well yes, like a pop culture sure. definitely but and CCR has been on a lot of soundtracks a and lot they, of soundtracks i feel like every time they pop up in a movie it they're like the perfect fit and i feel like that's why they're another great band is because they have such a specific sound vibe emotion grit soul and so when it's placed in a movie it like emulates the feeling so well because they're just per like it just goes great so CCR, we love you. I didn't get too much into the ending. You know, they started to fade out. Um, John started getting like very controlling and I, I don't think the vibe was as good. So Tom left in 1971 and the three remaining band members um, recorded a final album, Mardi Gras in 1972. And it was received terribly. It's not CCR. Like there's nothing well, about it that sounds reason, like CCR. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're <laughs> missing Tom. And then they tried to do like a more democratic approach to this album where Every member got to write their own songs. Other, the other two members like sang their songs and it yeah. just didn't like CCR is, I think John has such a good, hi John, we're, we're on first name basis now. Um, <laughs> he's obviously such a brilliant songwriter and has that deep seated soul and connection to what he writes about. And that comes out and his voice is so iconic and also keeps in that same soul and grit. And that is CCR. And so when you don't have him writing the songs and you don't have him fronting them, it just gets bad reviews. Yeah. It's just shit and ends them. And in 1972 in October, they, they officially all said, okay, we are done. And I know there was some, they got inducted in the hall of fame and, and they did not 
have a revival. No, no, they, they, I mean, they're a band that like when they said they broke up, they stayed broken up. They, uh, the only yeah. thing worth mentioning, we did kind of skip over an album uh, between Cosmos Factory and Mardi Gras. There was Pendulum, um, which didn't have right. a ton of hits, but it did have, have you ever seen the rain, which is obviously a massive yeah. CCR song. And then Hey Tonight, which was kind of more of a minor CCR song. But I have, yes. have you ever seen the rain was, I think in a lot of ways, probably one of the first CCR songs that like, I really loved. Um, I, I remember that just being a song. I think I saw it in like a commercial for a compilation album of like music of the sixties and seventies. Totally. And it's just when like, you ever see yeah, it's just one of those choruses that you only have to hear it once. And you're like, Oh, I got this. And I just got that song stuck in my head. And that yeah. was early in me going through my dad's records and like listening to like, Oh, he has the CCR greatest hits. I want to listen to have you ever seen the rain again? And like, you know, that, that, I just wanted to mention that one uh, just a little bit. <laughs> Honorable mention. Yeah, no, actually, I did I did miss that one. That's good. Good thing. It's all right. Is. We're not perfect people. What if you had to pick? Well, you just said I was like they CCR only got number twos. If you think one of their songs should have gotten a number one, which song do you think should have made it to the number one chart? Ooh. Regardless of the time and what it was up against. Pretending yeah, like, no, no, no. That doesn't um, matter. Because I almost don't want to say Fortunate Son just because we've talked it to death. <laughs> Like it feels so like, what? It's it's I think that might be my You know what? All right, so here's what I'm gonna base it oh, on. I'm like I have a tie. I have a tie between two, I think. I'm gonna base it on the longevity of the song. I think the fact that Bad Moon Rising isn't a number one song for how long that song has endured is kind of absurd. So I'm going to go, I'm going to put my vote on Bad Moon Rising. That that might be my number three choice. I'm going to have to give it to Fortunate Son. And we all know (laughs) I love that song, but I think it was a tie between that and Born on the Bayou. I think like to just think of like what song did so well and also just emulates and really sums up Credence Clearwater. I feel like Born on the Bayou is that and it's such a good song. God, just so many. There's so many hits. They should have had the fact that they have had zero number one hits is absurd. Right, Gelsey, so for our outro question, I already kind of showed my hand on this because I mentioned the usage of Midnight Special in uh, the Twilight Zone movie. What is, and I'm going to throw a little wrench in this actually, removing okay. Fortunate Son from Forrest Gump, <laughs> what is your favorite usage of a Creedence song in a movie? Probably Born on the Bayou in, in Waterboy. It's just <laughs> so perfect like he's literally in the swamp they couldn't be more swamp people cage like it's just so uh, it's perfect and you removed fortunate son yeah i know that oh god there's so many good ones because i know tropic thunder does one didn't a marvel show just use run through the jungle as its theme song recently i feel like i remember a, one of the streaming shows having run through the jungle as its theme song oh run through the jungle was in 
who was in Tropic Thunder. Wait, Run Through the Jungle has appeared in Tropic Thunder, The Sapphires, Kong, Skull Island, Triple Frontier. Oh, well, whatever. I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it Lethal out. Lethal Weapon? No, still not that. Fargo? No, okay. It has also appeared, oh, in the trailer for Disney's Jungle Cruise. I was like, wait, why would that? <laughs> that's funny. Oh, maybe that's why. Maybe I was thinking of Jungle Cruise, though. <laughs> it was the trailer. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. It was something, whatever. It was... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think Born on the Bayou is the right call. I think Born on the Bayou with Waterboy, because as soon as you started talking about that song in my head, I'm like, I know this had see. to have been in other stuff, but all I'm seeing is Adam Sandler yeah. riding his tractor back Same with, And we already mentioned this, but Up Around the Bend, like that in, uh, Remember the Titans is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. Yeah. And it's when it came out, we bought that CD and my dad would drive my sister and I to school every morning. And there was like a hard phase when every single morning we listen to Remember the Titans soundtrack <laughs> like every morning going to school. So that one does hold some some memories in there for me. Yeah. Well, Gelsey, I've got a question for you also. If the listeners want to tell us about their favorite times that they've heard a CCR song in a movie, where can they go to do that? Yeah, let us know your favorite CCR song in a movie on Facebook. Just search for Before My Time will pop up right there on the wall. And then on Instagram, our handle is at Before My Time underscore podcast. Like our shit, DM us, say what's up. Speaking of liking, you should give us a five-star review. And then you should go over to our Vietnam episode and listen to that, because I think that's a really good one. And then give that one a five-star review, just, just for fun. Why not? And I'm Tessa, and together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Femme Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.